The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. All right, we're live. Sweet. We are live. I am Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grable Associates and the Shiawassee Six. And tonight we're going to talk about the concept of the white privilege on Willow Avenue and the concept of the legalization of prostitution. Let me, um, hold on a second. I heard some people, um, say to me that you are a privileged white guy. That's what came up in conversation this morning. And I gotta tell you, I know where that comes from. We're gonna talk about, we're gonna kick it back to Willow Avenue for a minute. Because I'm really getting sick of this politically correct bullshit. I'm tired of this. Let's be real about some things. Hey, Kelsey Kills. There is no question that minorities are charged more than whites. And there is no question whenever a white woman claims a black man or a spec man raped them without evidence, we run to the case. But there's also no question that people sometimes use the race card fraudulently. And I don't quite understand this privilege concept. Because I win trials, I am privileged. Mm. It was Trisha Duckworth who said at a uh, Zoom meeting with me when she was trying to rip my throat out that I am a member of white privilege. doesn't matter if you didn't have money. If you have white skin, you are white privilege. Well, Trisha, Miss Duckworth, you said a lot of interesting things that night. And there's a lot of shit that's said about me. And now that I've spoken about potentially running as a Republican candidate for something, well, now I must clearly be a member of white privilege. Let me be clear. For everybody watching, I am disgusted with the political half circle in general. I'm disgusted with the left, and I'm disgusted with the right. And I really think we need a strong third party in this country. But also, let me say something. This politically correct bullshit, this prosecuting people without evidence, and these social justice warriors who want to convict people without evidence, I got a problem with that. Because here's my thing, and this is what I've learned in prosecuting the HHS cases in Lenaway. This is what I've learned from watching Mark Green, watching Scott Corner, and people I respect. If the evidence is there, you should prosecute the living shit out of somebody. And if the evidence is not there, then you don't prosecute. This is not a bizarre concept, right? We need to prosecute on evidence, not on politics. And I'm sick of that shit. 
And if I run for office, I don't win. I don't give a shit. I really don't need the pay cut. But yeah, I got a hair up my ass right now, because I'm tired of certain things going on. I'm tired of politics playing such a vital role in someone's freedom. I'm sick of this. Because reality is, whether you are white, black, blue, or green, if you don't have evidence against that individual, they should not be prosecuted. And if you do have evidence, they should be prosecuted. Not a real foreign concept, right? Okay. Let me tell you what really got under my skin as I got into this debate with somebody today, as I was leaving Frank Murphy. The concept of polygraphs. The taxpayers of Michigan pay the Michigan State Police Department and certain sheriff's departments are tax dollars for a polygraph unit. And the polygraph unit is there to try to gauge the truth. Right? Because isn't that what this is all about, guys? Does it really matter if we're prosecutors or defense lawyers? Don't we want to get to the goddamn truth? Well, some of us do. And if somebody passes a police polygraph and we don't care about that, we're spitting in the face of the government. I got a newsflash for you. Guilty people do not pass polygraphs. Guilty people do not come back with non-predatory instincts on psychosexual analysis. It doesn't work like that. We can't keep prosecuting, convicting people on someone's word alone. My God. And I'm told about this white privilege because people are pissed off that I got money in the bank and I got some power and they're pissed off about these concepts like this was given to me. Let me tell you something. Because the people that are talking shit about me and I know some of you are tuned in right now. Follow me here. Have you ever had a gun put to your head? Have you ever been stabbed? Have you ever had your family's home broken into because a goddamn drug addict from Pitney Village was trying to get a hit? Have you ever put your life in line to save your animal? Or... Do you just want to preach because you're so far to the left that things must be right or wrong? Because I see so many people that talk shit that never have really had hell in front of them. Because when you've had hell in front of you, when you witnessed it in your face, well, now shit gets a little different, right? Because now people say, okay, you're getting crazy, B. No, I'm not getting crazy. I'm being real. I have seen the worst of life. I have had my life in front of me about to be destroyed more times you could count of. I've almost been a victim of rape. I've almost been a victim of murder. I have been stabbed. I haven't beat within an inch of my life. And do you think that you can judge me 
who you never even in a fist fight in your life? Stop, dude. Please. Stop. I stand behind everything I did on Bobby Rice. I stand behind everything I did on the Tato case. I actually stand for what I believe in. I don't stand for politics. Do we understand each other? And I'm going to talk about when you talk Willow Avenue and the hell that was Pitney Village and Back Maryland wasn't far away and Patsy Wallace was right there and there's that fence and our family was on fucking welfare. Well, there's the F word. I'll be in Facebook jail for a week. That's okay. Let me tell you, you don't know me and you're talking shit because I am smarter than you and that frustrates you. I get it. I get it. I had dyslexia till my second term in law school and nobody could figure it out. And I had to stay up all night to get my grades. And then once I could see straight, whoa, shit fell apart for everyone, right? So I'm not going to have that personality of the Ivy Leaguer. Okay? I'm not going to have that personality. I don't want that. We weren't rich growing up. We didn't have a pot to piss in. And for those of you that came from upper middle class or wealthy environments and were protected and talk about your fears and stuff while you sit in your ivory tower drinking your mojitos and never been in a true fight in your life. You don't know shit. You don't know what it was like when that jitney. You know what it was like walking home under the tunnel by the convention center. You don't know. And I take that into court with me every single day. Because... That's what made me. That's who I am. There was no white privilege on Willow Avenue. We know what that means. When I hear people say that, it just blows me away. Shocking. And so many of the people that talk shit, so many of these people they hide behind textbooks, and they hide behind literature, and they hide behind LSATs and bar exams. Let me tell you guys something. When you got an innocent kid that's facing 25 years to life, and you're trying to find an answer in a book, you might as well just go play the lottery. Because the answers aren't in the book. What makes you fight as a lawyer, what makes that fire if you're good, is your life experience. I have met more brilliant people that never made it through the 12th grade than I did sitting for the bar exam. Let's never confuse intelligence with education. Let's stop that shit now. Seriously. I may live in the suburbs in Washtenaw County. We may have things, but it's not. It was blood, sweat, and tears to get to that point. I'm not going to apologize for that. But if you say I'm privileged, you don't know a goddamn thing about me. That's not what this is. The reason why I did seven courts today, despite whatever we may have or the perceptions, is because that fear... 
of losing justice. That fear of being broke again one day. That fear. That fear that drives you. It's just, it's real. You know, that's what's real. And that's what people don't get. And I want to talk about prostitution for a minute. And this is not a shot at any elected officials in Washington. If they take a shot, they take a shot. But when we say we want to legalize prostitution, let me be very clear about this. I do not want to see prostitutes end up in jail or prison. But we can't legalize this stuff. And I'm going to tell you why. And this comes to a personal story. And I see Dave Cruz out there, and Dave can relate to this. Dave, as a child of Ducktown, did we not know young girls that turned to prostitution as a way to support themselves? And to me, prostitution became this gateway into drugs, this gateway into abuse. And it gave pimps a free ride. When we say it's legal to sell your body for sex, we are giving poor runaways an idea that they could support themselves by having sex with scumbags who are looking to get a quick hit. And these girls put their life in jeopardy because now we're taking one less barrier away. The pimp is human trafficking these young women and these young boys. And to take that layer of legislation away, to actually say we're going to make that legal, it's going to give these runaways the opportunity to never advance themselves. Instead of trying to get these young people education or teach them a trade, we're saying it's okay to sell your body. That's bullshit, man. I've seen too many girls I grew up with turn to prostitution as a way of short income and their lives were destroyed forever. The people that are purchasing young people for sex are the worst in the world. And I'm blown away how we're not going to prosecute them, but we'll prosecute somebody for a rape allegation with no evidence from six years ago. But the guy that's taking a young girl behind an alley to hook up with her for money? Ah, it's just boys being boys, right? Why is it in this state that domestic violence on the first charge is a 93-day misdemeanor? Why is that not a felony? If you beat your wife, you beat your spouse. Tell me about that. That's a misdemeanor. And prostitution, we're not going to charge that. But a CSC, because of the Me Too movement with no evidence, that we're going to try to put somebody in prison for life for. Wow. So what you're saying to me right now is that we care more about the individual who claims something happened to them in the past with no evidence than a woman with a black eye who may stay in an abusive relationship to feed her kids. We gotta really look ourselves in the mirror, guys. Because I gotta tell you, that's bullshit. When we start saying prostitution should be legal, 
We're going down a slippery slope. We're going down a road where people think they have an option that looks appealing, and in reality, leading them to a dead end. And I know some about dead ends growing up on Willow Avenue. It's a big sign that said dead end, and it was really an analogy for what that was all about. So, it's been a weird week. It's been a week that I'll remember the rest of my career. And I'll be working on Saturday and Sunday. I will work like I'm broke the rest of my career because I'm never going to go back to Willow Avenue. And that's not white privilege. That's just cold goddamn work ethic. And for those of you that got a problem with me, stand in line and take a number. I'm not going to apologize for shit. I do think the laws are messed up in many regards. How the hell can a domestic violence first offense be almost impossible to go to jail? But yet, a rape allegation with no evidence could mean life in prison. Because let me tell you, if you got the evidence, then prosecute the person. But if you don't have the evidence, what are we doing? And I'm disgusted based on that. You could quote me on that. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. How was your day? Got that uh, speeding ticket? That wasn't you, but... Yeah. Weird day, man. It's been a long day for me. So tonight, first of all, this poor kid, Adriana Davidson in Washington, they found her body. May she rest in peace. Poor kid, oh my god. Your whole life's ahead of you, and... Just condolences to the family. Was really hoping they'd find the kid and she'd be okay, but they found the body, and may she rest in peace. Um, I don't know what to say. Life's short, you know? And we talked about this at length, how life is short. It's hard to believe that we've known each other as long as we have. I mean, time just moves, man. You know, and when a child like that... And, you know, people have been saying to me about prosecutions lately. And I'm going to segue into political aspirations. I know this upsets you a little bit. If there was anything I would consider running for, it would be prosecutor in Washington County. I'd run as a Republican or an Independent. And here's my feeling on things. And I know um, criminal defense has made me and all that. If the evidence is there, we should prosecute the hell out of people. But we can't have political prosecutions. That's my issue, and it's well documented. I don't get along with Dana Nestle in the Attorney General's office, and... I don't know, as I'm doing some of those CPS cases in Lenaway, I got a whole new taste for prosecutorial work. If I ran, it'd be a big pay cut. But I do think the job of prosecutor is so important. I mean, you are the top government official protecting the community. And you can either embrace that role and protect the community in a fair 
but stern manner or you know go another direction with it and um that's the one thing i never thought i would say that but if i ran for anything it would run, i would run for prosecutor in washington county don't know if that's gonna happen yeah. i mean i know the live audience is sure as hell against it you don't want to see me as a prosecutor do you no. I've been talking to a lot of people that I admire lately, and they really want me to run, and I don't know. I mean, there is some prosecutorial bones in me, and I, I, I never thought I would say that a few years ago. I just It's such an important position, and I look at people like Mark Green, I look at people like Scott Corner, I certainly would counsel Judge Matthew Stewart and see what he thought about things. I don't know, it just, it's something that is a critical position, and I don't know if I would win. I mean, I'd be going against a democratic machine, and, you know, politics is politics. But, I mean, as far as prosecution over political aspects, I mean, I think that's pretty important. I mean, I'm seeing people right now not getting prosecuted who should. I'm seeing young kids get overly prosecuted. I'm seeing people get prosecuted as pawns in civil litigation. I'm seeing evidence being hidden. And, you know, the whole thing... People got really upset about my comments on Facebook the other day. You know, let me be very clear, because I want to talk about cops for a minute. And the Tyree Nichols thing, I'm very pro-cop. I come from a long line of law enforcement. I have relatives that were cops. Hey, Tina. Um, I do think the position of officer is a critical position. The badge and the gun need to be respected. People like Andrew Longusky, who ran the Michigan State Polygraph Unit. People like Ship in Washington County. There are so many cops that I think are role models. But when an officer abuses that power, we gotta call them out on it. And that's my position. I mean, I don't understand how people could be beaten and then charged. Where, where are we at with that? I want to protect the cops. I also want to protect the citizens. Especially unarmed citizens who didn't do anything wrong. If you got a problem because of that, I mean, hey. I don't know. If I was worried about everybody had a problem with me, I wouldn't get out of bed. I mean, you know. Yeah, I work long hours, I work my ass off, and I'm proud of where I came from, I'm proud of where I am. But I try to be objective. Obviously, as a defense lawyer, my job is to advocate vigorously for my clients. But advocacy takes different forms. Sometimes you just go balls to the wall. Sometimes you gotta use your intellect. Sometimes you need to analyze. It's not a one-size-fits-all business. And as Scott Grable taught me back in 2017, some cases are about guilt and innocence, and some cases are about risk assessment. And that's something any good defense lawyer should realize. And I do feel that public defenders and prosecutors should make the equal amount of money. I feel as a private defense counsel... And I've said this before and people were pissed off at me. I would gladly give a portion of my salary to put into a fund for public defenders. Because public defenders have a tough job. They don't get enough money. That's my position on that. 
And I do think when you become a civil servant, whether it be a public defender or a prosecutor, hopefully you do it for the right reasons. And if I did run for prosecutor at some point, it would not be for a financial windfall. I would lose a lot of money if I jumped into that genre. But I also feel it's something that we need to really... We gotta look at things objectively, and I don't see enough of that right now in certain areas. And I'll just leave it at that. And people that want to watch my lives and my podcasts and talk shit and threaten me with things, you know, on keyboard warriors and make catfish accounts. I mean, dude, I'm pretty much an open book. Let's just be real. Uh, and kind of like Trump in a way, where I I wouldn't run because of financial benefit. I'd run because I gave a name about the job. Now, you don't have to like Trump, but understand something. Whether you like Trump or not, and I really don't care if you do, keep one thing in mind. He did not run for president for financial benefit. And I really think we had to look at people that took a political position or making more money due to that political position. That's something to concern ourselves with. And I'll just leave it at that for now. But uh, more on this later. Right now, I don't know what I'm going to do in the future, and obviously, I'm very dedicated to my clients, and I will keep that dedication moving, but if there's one position I would ever just consider putting my hat in the race for, it would be for prosecutor, and I think Matt McMaster would make a great judge, and I could see him and I both running politically in 2024, or keep doing what we're doing. I don't know. But when people are asking me about that, would I ever run for any office, that's the one office I think I would consider. And I will tell you, my work on those CPS cases, and a lot of the lack of justice I've seen from the defense side, I think on the other side of the coin, a prosecutor's job is not to get a conviction. A prosecutor's job is to file, follow the evidence, protect the community. We don't follow the evidence, or we create evidence or hide evidence. We're spitting in the face of the Constitution. And that's bullshit. And that's one thing I would never do. Take that for what you will. And for those of you watching that don't like me, you could keep this on Rewind if you like. Anyway, let's get lighter. I want to tell you guys a story about WWE Raw. Now, I know many people out there are fans of wrestling, and I certainly used to be a huge wrestling fan. Things kind of fell apart in college for me in wrestling, but 97 and 98, you had the Monday Night Wars. 96 to 98. NWO with WCW and WWE, WWF, that was... Degeneration X. They were the two big factions, right? And I was a wrestling fan. I was. And bartending at Tropicana gave me access to a lot of free tickets for things. So when an event came to the convention center, I would get tickets. I wouldn't always go. I'd give tickets away. I've never been a huge fan of just going to some of these things. Quite often, I would just rather watch at home. But you know, if it's in your hometown... You want to go, you go, whatever. And I'm at Stockton. I'm 21 years old. And WWE's coming to town. 
And I go to the computer room at Stockton. Now, Stockton computer rooms in the late 90s, man, that was, that was a hot ticket right there, man. Free internet and stuff. Woo. And I'm in there with a bunch of computer programmers and theater geeks. Now, let me be clear. If you are a theater person or a computer programmer, I have nothing against you. But these people tend to be very cliquish within their own. You know, the theater people hang with the theater people. They tell theater jokes. They eat theater food. And oh, they're in their own little world. The computer programmers are usually very smart people that have no social skills whatsoever. And they're usually very shy, much like myself. So they're not really the most courageous of people, but in their own little clique, you know, they, they connect. So I have to use the computer. I go to the computer room and I go to the one on the far right was the only one available. And this was like sitting at the wrong table in Oz without violence. Okay. I remember when Chucky Pancamo told people, told the refugees, hey, this is my table, guys, get out of here. That's how I felt going in this room. And I felt it by people, guys that couldn't fight their way out of a wet paper bag. There's these theater geeks and these computer programmers. And I sit down, I'm typing, I'm working, I got my earphones on, thank God I matured so much. And um, I'm sitting there and I'm grinding away. And this one guy says, hey, you're not a computer programmer, and you're not in the theater. What are you doing here? And I look at him like, um, I'm working? He goes, I'll say it again. You're not a computer programmer, you're not a theater person. I'm like, look, dude, do me a favor. Can you, like, kiss my ass and go away? Like, well, you have to get all violent about it. I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, he kind of came at me. I'm tense, I'm working. And let me explain something right then, okay? I'm taking 16 credits at Stockton. I'm working 40 hours a week at Tropicana. I'm paying for the mortgage at our house in Ventnor. I was not in the mood to deal with shit. This is that point of life when you are like on edge, if you would. Again, come so far. But I wasn't in the mood. And I'm sitting there, and eventually these geeks understood. You know what? Let's not mess with him. I didn't go to the socialize. I went there to work. I'd go to my class, I'd go do my homework, I'd go to computer lab, I'd go bartend at Tropicana, I came home, snuck in the gym. Repeat. Repeat. One day I'm in there, and at this point, you're like, hi and bye to these people. Whatever, I was going to hang out with them. And I see they're looking up WWE.com. And I'm looking like, oh yeah, that one's come to Atlantic City in a couple weeks. He goes, oh, yeah, it's coming to Atlantic City. Now, understand something. In college, people usually don't have a lot of money. This their trust fund kids. They're waiting for that financial aid check to come in or whatever. I kind of had the golden ticket here because I got free tickets and everything because I was bartending at TROP. And I tell this one geek, let's just call him. I'm going to change names. Let's call him Brian. <laughs> I said, hey, Brian. Um, Yeah, I was offered tickets to that. But I'm not going to go. He just looks at me. His eyes get really big like a deer in the headlights. He goes, what? 
<laughs> like, I was offered tickets to that. How many tickets could you get? I don't know. Like six, seven, whatever. Uh, it's a guy I bartend with. He gets those free tickets all the time. So he starts crying. What do you mean you get free tickets? I'm like, um, I can get tickets to that. Because you could get me tickets. I'm like, yeah, it's not a big deal. Now, look, guys, it's Monday Night Raw. It wasn't like you were going to see Cats and Broadway, okay? I mean, I don't know. And I'm not the most cultured guy in the world, but I didn't think this wrestling event coming to the City Convention Center was going to be that huge. But it wasn't this guy. So he's got, like, this group. He's got this clique of theater people and computer programmers. And we'll name them. Brian, Susan, Jake, Adam, and Becky. Interesting people. They all want to go to see Monday Night Raw. So there's five of them and me, so I need six tickets. And I tell them, I'll get I'll get us six tickets and we'll go. Now they think I'm lying, right? And this was really strange because I was getting, my phone was like blowing up. I'd get a missed call from someone and I'd call them back and he, Brian, would be calling like, hey man, what's going on? Oh, did you get those tickets yet? Oh, no, I'll get them in a couple days. It's not for a couple weeks, but I'll take care of the tickets. Don't worry about it. Then I'd put my phone down and I'd go to work. And this is before you were like charging the phone regularly and all that, so... I do a couple hours of I'm writing an essay or whatever, and I, I look at my phone, there's like six mixed calls from the guy in the two hours. I'm like, what's wrong? Are you okay? Did you get those tickets yet? Okay. Now, you ever see Seinfeld when David Putty was the face painter? It was always a near and dear episode to my heart. David Putty dresses like the New Jersey Devil. So, I get the tickets. And I give the tickets to these poor geeks. And they're like, oh my god. They're looking at these tickets like they saw the second coming. It was insane. And they're like talking, oh, we got the tickets. And they're jumping around. They're all excited. Like, okay, cool. Whatever. So, I'm going to go with them to this event. And they're like, how are you going to dress for the event? How are you going to dress for the event? I'm thinking, hmm, polo shirt. Maybe I'll put a hoodie on. I don't know. It's not a suit and tie affair. We need to know how you're going to dress. So I say to them, and I thought I was being coy, right? I said, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put an NWO shirt on. Now, NWO... That was WCW. That was the competition with WWE back then. So I said, I'm going to put an NWO shirt on. Go, oh my God, you won't do that. Now, it was kind of a half-hearted joke. But I actually got an NWO shirt and I wore it to the event as a joke. Well, I got to pick them up. I think it was like 5.30 or something. They want to get there really early. And I never understood people getting to these events so early. Like, what are you watching? Are you going for the hot dogs and popcorn? And they're all, we all just turned 21, so they're all drinking their ass. I'm going to drive. 
we put all these geeks into my car and we're slammed in the back, right? And they tell me to get there really early. And I'm thinking, okay. Now, guys, you got to keep in mind, I got them tickets because it was a free thing for me. I didn't think much of it. But this was a really big deal to them. And they want me to come to their dorms two hours early. And I don't really know why I need to get there so early. So I call Brian up the leader. He was the leader. And I say, hey, I'm pulling up. And he goes, okay. So I see one of the other guys. Jake comes running out. He's got like this boom box, if you will, circa 1997. And I'm, what the hell's going on here? They played theme songs for each one of the wrestlers they dressed as. Like it was a Comic-Con convention. So Brian comes down as Shawn Michaels. And he plays the song Boy Toy. And he's like doing the moves. I'm not your sexy boy. Boy Toy. You know, you know the song, right? Anyway, play it later. It was a little too much right there. And I'm like really like, okay, what the hell's going on here? Susan comes down. She's dressed like China. May she rest in peace. She's got her arms really flexed out. I'm like, hmm. Okay. Jake came down as the Ultimate Warrior, which was weird because the Ultimate Warrior was not a WWE wrestler at the time, but he was keeping it real, as he said. And he was like, like, hey, man, what's going on? He goes, the galaxy is coming. Like, he was... These people were in character. I'm a little creeped out, but I've also realized, I mean, they're geeks. This is a big deal for them. Okay, Adam and Becky come down. Now, I didn't think Adam and Becky were together until this night. Then I was confused. Because they came down as Goldust and Marlena. Goldust and Marlena were two characters in WWE back then. Goldust was Dustin Rhodes, who was Dusty Rhodes' son, and Marlena was Terry Rounds, which was his real-life wife. And they were dressed, like, all in gold and stuff. And I'm a little thrown off by this, because they played the Gold Dust theme song, and Marlena's, like, throwing, like, gold sprinkles on top of him, and I'm thinking, hmm. I mean, you gotta imagine, get some alcohol to these people, God knows what the hell's gonna happen tonight. And, um... So I ask Adam and Becky, are you guys together? I didn't know you guys were dating. No, why would you think that? Well, you showed up dressed as this married WWE couple in your Comic-Con gear, sprinkling music, sprinkles and playing the theme music. How are you guys not together? They weren't. And she had like the fake cigar in her mouth, like Marlena would do. That was Marlena's thing. So we get in the car. And they are, like, talking as the wrestlers. And it was really odd. And I'm sitting there in, like, my hoodie and NWO shirt thinking, hmm, well, this is getting weird. Now, didn't have money back then, but I was bartending. So by their standards, I had money. So I'm going to buy them drinks. I'm going to spend 100 bucks in the night, whatever. And I'm just kind of sitting there. And the matches go on. The Heart Foundation beats the Legion of Doom, and Flash Funk beats Brian Christopher. It really wasn't a great card. And these people are getting drunk, and, like, there was a dark match. And for those of you who don't know what a dark match is, 
A dark match is a match which is not on TV, but you see it in person. And it was like a triple threat match with Bret Hart, The Undertaker, and Vader. And the match literally was, I'm looking up right now, 2 minutes and 37 seconds long. And people are cleared out. So these drunken fools run down to the front row to watch this match, which lasted 2 minutes and 37 seconds. And they are talking about how it is the greatest night of their life. Now, being an Atlantic City bartender, I take them to Tropicana, and we go up the top of the trop. Top of the trop was this bar on the 20th floor. And as I bring them up there, my Tropicana coworkers are looking at me like, where'd you find these people? And there was a girl that I had just broke up with from Tropicana. She was waitressing up there. She wasn't supposed to, but she got transferred up there that night. She was on the casino floor, but she's up at the top of the trop. And she's like, oh, I see why we didn't work out. <laughs> so, okay. So we're sitting up there at the top of the trop, and these people are all dressed in their gear. And the one dressed is Terry Reynolds, Marlena. She's smoking this cigar. Which, I mean, I guess Mike Brooks, that lawyer in Lenaway, who always has a cigar, he'd be proud of this. Nothing against Mike, but I mean, it was weird. Um, the Marlena character, who we're calling Becky, not her real name. Of course, we are Facebook friends. I'm sure she's watching this. A little freaked out right now. But she, she's smoking the cigar, and I said to her, Hey you wrote some really good poetry because her and I were in this poetry class that Chuck McGeever was teaching. We've heard of Chuck McGeever before. We'll leave that alone right now. And I say, you wrote a good poem. She goes, what's that, little man? Like, she's playing the Marlena character. Like, I'm sorry, little man, what? She goes, I can't hear you speak up. I said, I really liked your poetry. So she's like, what? Yeah, you wrote a good poem. She goes, oh, yeah, you know what? You don't have to just say shit that's nice to me. Now, she's drunk. She's frustrated. She's dressed like Marlena. She's hanging with these geeks. Like, no, no, you really wrote a good poem. She said, you read my poem. So, yeah, I did. I read this poem. It was about her dog when she was a child. It was a really deep poem. So I really liked your poem. So I'm a little freaked out that you're dressed as Terry Reynolds right now. But you wrote a good poem. And we had this really deep conversation. And um, we're talking about poetry. And it's pissing off the geeks now. Are you out of character? Like, they're losing their shit. And I'm like, I'm with these drunken kids after watching WWE Raw. Now the wrestlers come up. They're all getting drunk. It was a crazy day top of the trap. I'm the only sober one trying to talk poetry with this woman who's dressed as Terry Reynolds. And um, that was really... It, it got really weird because as the geeks were drunk, they almost got violent. And while Adam and Becky were not together, I'm telling you, Adam was not thrilled. I was talking to Becky about her poetry. And he said to me, you're going to pay for this. I'm like, what do you mean by that? Because I'm going to tell the dean at Stockton that you were out getting us liquor. I'm like, okay. But we're all 21. He was actually 20. And he was very clear about that, that I committed a crime. But if I committed a crime by buying you a beer... You committed a crime by having a fake ID and drinking it, right? He just looked at me and goes, you bastard, you're going to pay for this. It was a really weird ride home. Because as they were nauseous in my little Le Mans, 
which could barely fit two people, let alone six of us. They start singing all the theme songs. The Marlena character, Becky, is really intrigued. I knew about her poetry. We couldn't talk anymore. And um, that was the end of the night. As I got them out, there was bitterness. I think we all like, came together for this one event, if you would. And at the end, we never really talked again. Facebook friends with a couple of them. And I will say, Becky, fake name, you are a damn good writer. And I hope you still write sometimes because your poetry was deep. You were way ahead of your time. And you were really too cool for those other geeks, just so you know. And uh, that was my story of going to Monday Night Raw in August of 1997, being the only sober one who was not checked as a real wrestler. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. When I started my career, and you know, people know this, I've only been doing criminal law five years. It's hard to believe, right? It's only been five years. You know, thousands of cases now in the books. And it's insane. But um, Scott Grable took a shot on me. Winnie Rich saw me as a tutor in Lansing. And she would see me there at 7 o'clock in the morning. She would see me there at 8 o'clock at night. And Winnie Rich said to Scott Grable, who was a friend before he was my employer at that firm, you got to hire this kid. He works his ass off. He's going to make us all a lot of money. He's going to be a great criminal defense lawyer. And I didn't know shit about criminal law. And Scott Grable took a chance on me. And it changed my career. So when our firm took off, I remained with Scott. And that's basically I have two full-time jobs. But let me tell you some of the reasons I stayed with Scott besides our friendship. People don't know it because they look at the Grable and Associates models as marketing machine. We have this group of lawyers in all these areas that are renowned. This is what Google says, right? You got McQuarrie and Livingston. You got Amadeo and Shiawassee and Washington. You got Brugnoli and um, Smith and Kent. Whatever. And Scott put this team together. He put these weapons together to advocate for clients. And he gets known for being this internet guru, this marketing genius. And he is. Here's what people forget about Scott Grable, and I want everybody to really listen to what I'm about to say. He is an absolutely amazing attorney. He's a great trial lawyer. He's tried over 20 cases. He has been in front of juries. He's been before the Michigan Supreme Court. He's been before the Michigan Court of Appeals. He's done it all. And one thing Scott taught me which changed my career, is that being a great trial lawyer, that's part of the problem, part of the issue, right? We have a problem, we have to go to trial sometimes. But that's about 10 or 15% of what being a lawyer is all about. Do you understand a standaway motion? Do you understand a missing evidence instruction? Do you understand the -the state-of-the-art motions that nobody understands, which, by the way, is helping us immensely in certain cases we have which we won't get into tonight. But I will tell you, the case that really put me on the map 
the one that really put me on the map before Bobby Reyes was the Eric Coleman case. I was scared shitless before the Eric Coleman trial. Eric's family could have hired any lawyer in the state. And back then, I was a dark horse to get that case. When I took on Eric Coleman's case, you could argue that I was not ready for a case that intense. And I called Scott Grable. And I was scared. I'm like, what do I do? And he coached me up day one, free of charge. It was my firm, not his firm. He taught me what I had to do with Eric on the stand. He helped me break down Vordaire. He broke down trial strategy like nobody ever knew. He's been an amazing mentor. And the reason he knew so much is because he's been in the f***ing wars. He's been in the trenches. Scott Grable is a badass trial lawyer. I just think he's making more money doing the marketing right now. But to anybody to question his ability, that's bullshit. They had a recent win, Grable and Associates, a case I wasn't involved in. Bill McQuarrie was the head trial lawyer on a case in Jackson. And they got a not guilty. And a great job by Bill. But let me tell you, while Bill got the win at trial, here's what people don't realize. Scott and his team and Tim Doman, who was an amazing appellate lawyer, they did these amazing motions at the Court of Appeals. They did these interlocutory appeals. They prepped the question so hard. They set it up and Bill knocked it down. Great win, but it was a team effort. We forget about that sometimes. Because there's so many things. When you win a trial or you get a dismissal, had a recent dismissal, guy was facing 85 years. I busted my ass on that case. But so many things were done behind closed doors. It's great to spike the football after you score a touchdown, but you know what? How did we get to the end zone? That's what's forgotten about. Scott Grable is a top-notch trial lawyer. Quote me on that. I hope to become the trial lawyer he is in the near future. Because if I become the trial lawyer Scott Grable is, with my crazy work ethic and personality, that'd be pretty cool. I'm getting there, but he's ahead of me. And I'm grateful I'm on that team. That team has helped mold me. Every big win I've had, every one of them, and there's been a lot the last three years, you know? Um, check out Google for my haters, okay? But there's been some major wins. Every win I've had, Scott Grable's played a role in it whether it was a Grable and Associates case or a McMaster Amadeo case. You don't see when I'm calling Scott Grable 10 o'clock at night to go over a faulty police report. He made the connection for me to meet Andrew Longusky and learn about polygraphs. He taught me the Stanaway motion. The guy is a wealth of knowledge. And if he so chose, he would be a very renowned trial lawyer in the state of Michigan. What he's done instead is put this a team in place, which I'm very proud to be part of. But rest assured, when Scott Grable puts on his spikes and goes to trial, he's ready to kick ass. He's done it all. We're lucky to have him as our leader on that firm. And uh, I will never not work for Scott under any circumstances. We are all better lawyers because of our association with Scott Grable. Every trial that GNA wins, whether his name is on it or not, 
he's played a role in coaching. He doesn't just take the money in its hands off. Yeah, we get a, we make a lot of money at that firm. Make no mistake about it. But we work our ass off. And the client comes first. There have been times a certain appeal we know very well about when a client ran out of money and Scott would not give up on him because he cared more about justice than the bottom line. Money's important. Don't get me wrong. But in this profession, one's freedom. A little higher, don't you think? We can be great advocates, make great money while still putting our clients first. And that's something that's lost by so many lawyers, but it's not lost by Scott Grable. I will take Scott in trial against anybody in the state any day of the week. Quote me on that. Now, on a lighter note, let's talk about a really good trial lawyer, Ashley Duplessis. Ash, if you're tuned in, I want to say you are working your ass off right now. You are becoming a star. And when you work as hard as Ashley does, frustration kicks in sometimes. You know, there's some days in this profession we just want to explode. Like when we find hidden evidence that a piece of prosecutor hid. And I'll tell you, that prosecutor was not in Shiawassee, so let me quote that, because Scott Corner doesn't hide evidence. But there's some other people that may. And what we've learned is, if you dig under these rocks, you'll find certain things. If we can't play nice, we can't play nice. Let me be real clear on that. And Ashley Duplass is a warrior. I'm going to tell you about a sentencing I watched her do. The client was looking at severe prison time. And she argued perfectly for a downward departure. And the guy's going to be out of jail in about nine months and stayed in jail at the Michigan Department of Corrections because she completely laid it on the line. She saved that man at least 40 months of his freedom in a case of Tobles. I've seen Ashley Duplessis turn things around. I've watched her magically twist things. We've won a few cases together. It's great working with her. And if you watch Ash the last couple of years, you just keep seeing her star rise higher and higher and higher. If I had a complaint about Ashley, it would be that she uses me when she's on a bad date. Let's talk about that. Ash, if you're tuned in, I told you this was coming. There's been several times in the recent past when Ashley will say to me, B, I need you to FaceTime me in 20 minutes. I'm on this blind date and I got to get rid of this guy. And she'll text me. It's like, hey, here's the story. You are my good friend who's in need. And you're going to call me. And I'm like, well, why do I have to be the good friend in need? Why can't I be like um, the ex-boyfriend that you're so into? Or the cool guy from college that always had your back? Why do I got to be played the geek? I'm the friend in need. And she's going on. She goes, just shut up and text me. Okay. So, <laughs> I was on a date, right? And I'm FaceTiming her. And she walks out of the room. She goes, oh my God. And she's making this whole dramatic thing. She tells the guy, I got to go. My friend Bill, don't use the last name. I don't want to hurt business when you're pretending to be a geek. 
Bill's in trouble. I have to leave. Another funny story is I'm in the jail one day, right? And Ash is at a party at a restaurant. And she goes, hey, I need a cake. They don't order, they don't have cake at these restaurants. They go, well, no, I need a birthday cake for my friend. I'm like, well, I'm in the jail right now, Ash. She goes, okay, well, just leave the jail, go to Myers and bring me the cake to the restaurant. All reasonable requests. You gotta know, Ash. One of my favorite things is when Ashley and I are banging heads, I'll send her this text message. It will be the word RELAX. All caps. Now do it one letter at a time. R-E-L-A-X. And before we get to the X, she goes, I swear to God, if you say relax, I'm going to kill you. When we're in that zone of working our ass off, it's good to have somebody like Ashley because, you know, she's got your back. You got her back. Always been a great team effort. And I would say on the case we won together, I think she's been the superior lawyer. That's a lot for me to say, right? But she's kicked some ass. So Ashley, AD, listen. I admire you as a lawyer. And when you need me to get you out of a bad date, I would like the fake story to make me look cool at least. You agree with that, right? Yeah. Oh, what the hell? Can I go like a geek? Make me look cool. Come on. I'm the good-looking ex-boyfriend that's out of town. No, I'm the geek that needs a friend tonight. I think people are still kind of hooked in the prosecutor thing. Let that go for right now. All right, I'm Bill Amadeo. Hope you enjoyed this. Have a good night. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.